check, 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 check. Dude, you missed your cue. You're supposed to come in with that incredible rap intro that we've been working on. <laughs> Where were you, dude? Are you just that, that hot, that that hot freestyle? That yeah, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm dropping. Yeah, you know that that uh, MGK replica shit you've been working on. <laughs> I can't, I, I cannot freestyle rap to save my life. Really? Oh yeah, no way. Um, are you an MGK I could do, fan? I could do like an improv team rhyme game i'm pretty good at that but if i had to actually drop some real like freestyle rhymes if you really had to spit yeah there's just no way are you an mgk fan i don't even know who you're talking about machine gun kelly oh no not really no really interesting you know i mean you're familiar with him obviously uh i'm aware of him i'm not really familiar with him i'm only familiar with him because he's had some beef see there i am drop an actual rap lingo uh he had some beef with uh m and it got pretty intense as those things go as at at least as as intense as it can get between two caucasian rappers there was no actual gunplay to my knowledge ironically ironically given that his name is mgk really passive aggressive rumors spread around the country club about one another exactly (laughs) talking to caddies and waitresses and shit uh (laughs) All right, so we've driven the car off. Let's, let's talk about Takeshi Six Nine now. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, we should talk about that guy at some point. Is he out of prison? Uh, probably. I don't know. He's probably not. I should I should check into this. He probably is uh, or is not out of prison because we are cutting edge on in terms of rap knowledge on this. Po- in fact, we're going to switch this to an all rap format. Yeah. <laughs> in the near future. Oh man, he just looks so crazy. I don't know what it is about Gen Z, but they just love face tattoos. Yeah, I don't get that. Like, I I actually understand the concept of getting a tattoo. I've really thought about that many times, but I'd get yeah. it where a place where I could cover it. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't put a big six nine on my face. Man, I mean, they're becoming so so normal. That oh like, yeah, they're totally cliche at this point. Pe- people giving you know, corporate presentations, you can see have tattoos like coming up over their collars on their neck or down to on their hands out of their cuffs or whatever on their shirts or jackets. Right. It's just just ridiculous. Yeah. When I saw Bill Gates come out with that tear tattoo, I'm like, wow, he's killed people. (laughs) When you saw Bill Gates come out with that Q tattoo on his forehead. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that giant coronavirus, you know, over each eye, I'm like, wow, that is, that is fresh. Speaking of fresh, speaking of fresh, we're actually going to talk about a topic today, at least I think we are, that is super fresh, super current. And the good news is I'll be my usual lag- laggard self and we'll publish this in three weeks after the whole story's blown over. But we're going to talk today about defunding the police. You know, it's impossible to consume any of the media that I consume normally lately without being exposed to or talking or hearing people talk about defunding the police and what that would look like and why that's a, a topic, you know, why, why that's a good idea, why people think that's a good idea. This is a such a fraught topic in the best of times. And right now is like a completely unique powder keg. Situ- I mean, just a complete powder keg. And 
you know, I mean, we talked the I was texting you last week. I this is now that I'm recording this in Manistee, Michigan, because I thought it was best to just kind of skip out of the city of Chicago. Just let me briefly describe my experience, because one, there's a couple things that I think are actually meaningful and potentially relevant to this conversation. The first part is that the city of Chicago is still protesting. It's been yeah, how long days. has that been? Oh, my gosh. Is it? Wow. Yeah. And the city of Chicago is still protesting largely after day about day three, maybe day four. The protests, just the the amount of violence and ne'er do wellism dropped significantly. But in the first few days, it tr- truly got kind of scary in the city of Chicago. I mean, it didn't get kind of scary. It got scary. You know, there was a lot of I mean, scary to the point where like me and a lot of people I know were all listening to the police blotter trying to figure out where people were or was going down. Yeah, where people were looting or smashing windows or, you know, in places that were only within a block or two of 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 where I was staying in Chicago, what? In Lincoln Park. Is that close to you? Yeah. Got got like their window smashed in. Where I mean, mostly these places are like liquor stores and oh well, then that's okay. Like this. While this was going on, I mean, every place that was open, every store boarded up their doors, boarded up their windows. There was a quote I heard that said, "If you live in a major city, this was a few years ago. If you live in a major city, the effects of the 2008 recession have have largely unaffected you. If you lived in New York or Chicago or L.A. or Seattle for for really the past 10 years, your life hasn't really changed that much. It's it's really you've more or less missed out on the giant crash in 08 and and the recovery in those cities was pretty quick. But it hit me in spades and I was like, this city looks like Main Street America now. Like it looks like every small town that I've been to in the Midwest has boarded up windows and, and, and empty stores. And that's all you see now riding around in my neighborhood in, in Chicago. And the same is true really in New York, which is just a lot of places were closed and boarded up and had like, you know, cages over the windows and stuff to prevent people from breaking the glass and looting and things like this. So it was really scary for a few days. And then it, it largely became really peaceful in the sense that nobody was there was the, the big reports of like people confronting the police and stuff really dropped off after about day three. But for for three days, it was kind of a really eerie like we could hear explosions going off at night. There were helicopters all over. You could hear uh, police sirens all night long. It was really a pretty, pr- pretty eerie for a while. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine that, you know, and, and it's interesting because to take the story back even further. You know, you left New York to escape coronavirus. Yeah, I'm like a twice, I'm like a 2x refugee. <laughs> yeah, now you're, you've are you escaped Chicago to get away from, you know, the uh, the riots and whatnot. And it's just, this is just the most extraordinary time of my life by far. And, you know, again, I'm twice as old as you are. So I, oh, yeah. You know, and, and so I think the the contrast and what we're experiencing right now for me is much more extreme than it is for you because I had this big block of my life, most of my life, where I was trying to think like, what's the craziest thing that ever happened in my life, you know, on a, on a, on a scale comparable to what's going on now with these things that are now happening like once a quarter or once a month. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and 
uh, it would be the assassination of people. There were there were assassinations that happened when I in my youth, you know, like Martin Luther King and the Kennedys. Yeah. Uh, so, but I was too young to, you know, to a pre- or or the landing on the moon. Literally, those would be the things. There was no social. Uh, no, certainly, there was no pandemic, and there was no social chaos on a scale like we're experiencing right now. Other than, I guess, the Rodney King aftermath in Los Angeles, which would have been like 1990 something, you know, early 90s. I yeah, believe. but also that was pretty localized, wasn't it? Yes, that it was. Wasn't, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it was nothing like this. No, 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 this is actually global now because, you know, there's stuff going on in Europe relating oh, yeah. Ber- to this. Berlin, Amsterdam, Paris, <clears throat> London. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. The protests that have really taken off globally about this. Uh, yeah, this is really extraordinary. And it's funny because um, a friend of mine from college, a guy named Pete Duguid, he posted something on Facebook, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and it was, he was um, on Michigan Avenue and driving, obviously, and he was, I think he was near, um, what's the name of that mall, Water Tower? Yeah, Water, Water Tower. Tower Plaza. Yeah, spectacular Sunday morning in, you know, in the Windy City, and the image was all these super high-end upscale boutiques and whatnot that were boarded up. Oh, yeah. On yep. the Miracle Mile in Chicago. Yep. What we really want to talk about today is just this narrower concept within that larger context of the idea of defunding the police. This is something that has been talked about now for, I mean, it, it predates this specific event we're dealing with right now, but it really has never been talked about on a scale like this until now, at least to my knowledge. And I oh, believe. Yeah. Yesterday, I think it was, Minneapolis or some governmental entity within Minnesota or Minneapolis voted. And apparently, you know, nine of the 13 people who voted or nine of the 13 people who were eligible to vote voted in favor of defunding. Oh, yeah. And I think, again, this was actually yesterday. We're recording this on Monday, June 8th, 2020. So I think this was Sunday, June 7th, 2020. There's, a, there's one quote I want to look for here in these notes that I took because it, it really hit me kind of hard, and it's in two, two different places here uh, where the guy said, oh, here it is. He says, this is a Jeremiah Ellison, a member of the Minneapolis City Council, said this, we're going to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department, and when we're done, we're simply not going to glue it back together. We're going to dramatically rethink how we approach public safety and emergency response. Yep. There's another quote in here that I read that I want to also toss in here. We are committing. Here we go. This is Council President Linda Bender. Uh, We are committed to dismantling policing as we know it in the city of Minneapolis and to rebuild with our community a new model of public safety that actually keeps our community safe. And then in response to what I said, there's this. That's not the answer, said Gwen Gunter, a retired lieutenant of the Minneapolis Police Department who's also a member of a black police officers association. There's a part of me that hopes they do succeed because I want to see how long it takes before they say, oh, no, we need a police department. So I think that's I mean, there's there's a lot a lot more to be said here, but I wanted us to give at least a little bit of a framework before we just started talking about our personal views of this whole thing. And I would add one more thing, and that is. From doing this quick research that I did, one of the things that's talked about a lot is the difference between defunding 
and disbanding. And, dis- and disbanding, yeah. Right, because but, I think— by, by, by the way, the two quotes you just read are uh, just to— just to reference the source, they're both from a New York Times article about defunding the police. So that distinction needs to be made first. Uh, and, and I mean, I think, you know, once it's said out loud, it's obvious what it, the difference, because, of, you know, I think I had not encountered the term uh, disbanding before doing this quick research. And my my personal reaction to the word defunding ignorantly was, oh, they're just going to eliminate the police department. Was that your reaction to it as well? Well, when I first heard it, yeah. It's interesting. John Oliver did a report about this on Last Week Tonight over the weekend. But part of what he was joking about when he did the report was like when you hear the term defund the police department, you think, are you fucking crazy? Like that it's the getting rid of police whole cloth. It sounds like a completely terrible idea. And truthfully, it's it's not exactly that. Now, disbanding is a different sort of a different, a more yeah. radical, different approach. But defunding is not exactly what that means, just to be clear. Yeah, so, so you know, once I, once I read a little bit, it became clear that defunding doesn't mean stopping funding. It means reducing funding. So I think that, I mean, maybe it's just me who, who's interpreting it this way, but, you know, I think that that defunding, they, should need, they need to come up with a better term than defunding, but it's too late now. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah it's too late. It's too late in the game now. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I just wonder how many people who are who are you know protesting and and demanding defunding think that it means disbanding because I think a lot of them do. They probably you know that's I don't know that's a good question. They probably a bunch of them do, and they probably were you to make the distinction to them, they probably would probably would would go no I I want the dis- I want the police disbanded period. Yeah, and, and there's um, a, and there are there are there, there's information in this stuff that I've cobbled together that says that too. You know that there are people who who fully understand or, or who, who want defunding to mean the actual abolition of police. And in fact, it's, uh, you know, um, what's his name, Bongino? Uh, Dan Bongino, who's a former cop, former NPD officer and Secret Service in the Obama mm-hmm. administration. He's a what most you know moderate people would refer to as right wing. Uh, you know, he has his own, he's a featured guest on Fox News a lot. And he has his own podcast that's very popular that is, you know, very much conservative. But a couple of quotes from him. He said defunding the police would be the quote, the single most catastrophic, deadly public policy decision we have seen in the modern history of the United States. And he went on to say uh, he called the defunding the police an abomination, asking what kind of a message do you think this sends to a murderer or a terrorist? or a gang member or a drug dealer slinging crack on the corner of a neighborhood. Now, he's clearly, at least my interpretation of what he's saying, he's he's thinking they're, they're meaning disbanding. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I think that he thinks that they're meaning disbanding. And then secondly, I think he probably wouldn't change that message whatsoever if he— uh, Either if way, the yeah. The distinction was explained to him. No, I agree. Um, I agree. And I think, he, I think he does understand the distinction just given who he is. I mean, he is a law enforcement guy. But, but I think his comments actually, in my opinion, make sense even if he's referring to defunding in, in the sense that it's just a diminishment of the police because, I mean, honestly, and you, you just hinted at it in something you said that I, I can't quote you. You just said it when you were talking about you know what John Oliver said about whole cloth elimination of police. Well, can we – let's start with that. Would you agree that that is insanity? Yeah, I think that's a yeah. That's I mean, there needs to be a law enforcement function. That's yeah. just period. Totally. Like in it, in it, it the, getting rid of it wholesale, I think, is a ridiculous idea. You know, I mean, every 
civilization since time immemorial has had to have a way to enforce laws and and have you know have and protect the community from people within the community who you know don't want to abide by those laws i mean it's it just makes sense i was listening recently to a talk um on vox where someone was arguing they were like you know we have this concept of this the state has a monopoly on violence uh, according to and that that's from the modern era. That's a 300, almost 400 year old concept, uh, by Thomas Hobbes who wrote the book, the Leviathan. And the concept was all of us together collectively through the social contract, give our use, our personal use of violence to enforce our rights in our own life to the state. And the state then has a monopoly on that violence. I think it's ridiculous to move away from that. I think that's a social technology that's been really successful because, you know, law societies that have vendettas and personal, you know, people are trying to, you know, use honor culture bits of like vengeance against people who have wronged them. I mean, just very clearly don't function as well as societies that have codified groups of laws and and, and a, a mandate from the state to enforce those laws amongst the people. I mean, that that's just really clear, I think. I agree. I, I mean, tr- just just try to imagine operating a business, <laughs> you know, in, a, in, a, in an <clears throat> environment in which there's no, absolutely no law enforcement person you can call on to protect your business or to provide even the stability necessary for you to, you know, conduct business. I mean, that's just, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, I totally agree, and and I don't want to get off on this tangent now, but I think we should talk about this at some point during this conversation, because we were talking about the fact that you had gone from Chicago to Manistee, where your parents live, and you were going to be there for a couple of weeks, and we just started talking about that, and that led to one of us saying something like, you know, I could see this being a trend, like I could see this being an exodus kind of a thing, where, continuing what you just said, that if there really weren't police officers where would you rather be? Would you rather be in a Manhattan or a Chicago or in a small town America? If there weren't police officers, I would much rather be in a small town. I mean, it's not even close. Just period. Yeah. Just by sheer fewer potential threats to you. Because in a city, I just can't even imagine what... I mean, again, I think it would look a lot like these riots. I really do. Because if I was a criminal, and how many people do you think there are out there who are not criminals? Because of the fact that they're, they respect the potential for being caught. I think there's some truth to that. I think that in, I mean, just to talk through this rabbit hole, down this rabbit hole for a moment, I think that, um, because I do, I want to return to my point about the Leviathan and the state mandate on violence, but oh yeah, sorry. I think that in that world, I mean, it would look a lot like, you know, South Africa, like in Durban or Johannesburg or something um, where people have to hire private security basically to constantly follow them around or be around for an emergency call in case something happens. And I, I I mean, there would be potentially market solutions that would step in to try to provide this kind of security. But I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it would. And it's economically, it's economically unviable for most people. Most people couldn't afford security. Yeah. Wouldn't be able to afford it, which is interesting because that's a socialist concept, which is that there's a the, the the police are essentially a socialist function of uh, a value provided by the state. But let's table that discussion for a moment. Yeah, go back to the um, Leviathan. Just just to return to the concept of the of the Leviathan. You know, Hobbes. The idea that Hobbes had was that without a state that ensures certain 
stability and and provides a certain amount and, and through that stability and mandate of violence is able to create a space where people can create lives for themselves outside of that in a state of nature life he imagined was nasty brutish and short that's the actual quote that he used and it's interesting because that you can contrast that with Rousseau, the French philosopher who believed that man existed in a state of nature and everything was pretty much in harmony. And it, the quote that he has is man is born free, but is in a, everywhere in chains. And the concept behind it was human beings are supposed to be, you know, living together in family groups. And it's only when people have these institutions that they create around them, that's where the problem comes in. Really? That otherwise everything would be mostly pretty much okay. And there would not be real huge disagreements. This was Rousseau's concept of man in the state of nature. Mm. In the 300 years since Rousseau has written that, <laughs> archaeology has shown us that that's ho like horrifically wrong. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. like human beings are way closer to Hobbes's conception of in a state of nature than Rousseau's. Like human beings are very happy in a state of nature to kill each other, take each other's shit, plot against one another. I mean, there's just all kinds of horrible things that human beings in a state of nature did to one another. And I think that the state mandate on violence makes sense. I mean, so when I heard this talk on Vox, um, even though I totally respected you know, both of the parties who were talking about it, the idea that we're like, well, maybe we should rethink policing from a model of human behavior that comes from, you know, people genuinely are, you know, better off without guardrails than they are with them. I think that's nuts. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yes. it's just, it just, I think it's just flatly nuts. But, 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 but I do want to say this because I think it's important to be said. We're like 28 minutes in here and we haven't said it yet. There, there is truly a problem with policing in America. Me or the listener or you may disagree on that fact and exactly what degree or even qualitatively if there's a, if there's a problem in kind. But truly, I really think there is a problem. I mean, there is a problem with policing in the United States. What people are talking about when they're talking about defunding it they're, they're trying to reimagine what a potential police force looks like, what a policing community force looks like. I heard a police, uh, it was, I think it was the, I think it was the police chief from the city of Dallas was addressing the protests and he was talking to news outlets and he basically said, look, I mean, the police are in a really hard situation because everybody calls us for everything. He's like, Every, everybody calls us for everything. If, if a guy comes into your house and pulls a gun and holds your family hostage, they call the police. If, Two people are having trouble in a parking lot because a guy has parked behind them and they can't get their car out. They call the police. If people are up late playing music loudly and on a weeknight, they call the police. Like it, the problem is that like there are there are you know, there's a guy on the street corner saying weird things to a telephone pole and yelling to himself. They call the police. It's like all four of these situations yep. do not require the same level of law enforcement or the same approach of law enforcement and yet we only have one law enforcement body does that make sense total and i think that's a really valid point and i think that you know there's 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 a whole series of really interesting things to talk about you know within this larger topic and also just in response to what you just said so let me let me let me respond to that so first regarding whether we do or do not have a real problem with police i disagree with you there and in fact i'm going to read a quote here from you know, another thing, this is from the New York Post uh, from two days ago. And basically, 
I'm reading this without context. I mean, it'll be it'll be self-explanatory. The lie that social spending has taken a hit interlocks with the media-created myth that it's open season on unarmed black men in the United States. Fifteen unarmed black men were killed by police last year, as opposed to 25 white people, according to the Washington Post's database. But black people are much more likely to have police encounters than white people. In an average year, about 49 people are killed by lightning in the United States. So 49 people are killed by lightning. 25 white people are killed by police, or were killed by police last year, 2019, and 15 black people. So that absolute value context needs to be understood. Like, I look at that and think, oh my God, like when I read that, I was in disbelief. It was like, what? And, and again, I'm, I, don't, I didn't fact check this, but again, he's quoting the Washington Post, which is a liberal, hard liberal leaning entity. So if that's what the source was, I tend to think that it's, if anything, it's inflated, not understated. Yep. Those numbers are crazy low. So that's my first point. The second point I would make is that for anyone to think that I don't care if you replace the police with, you know, some other body or, or organization, or if you, if you uh, come up with a series of, of similar or, or conceptually similar things like you were, like as a natural extension, what you just said about how the same people who show up to, to facilitate a domestic dispute are the same people who show up to talk to a crazy person, talking to a telephone pole, are the same people or showing up at a murder scene. I can't envision a, a scenario in which there are different, you know, entities re- responding to those different kinds of scenarios. And I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. But, 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 for anybody to think that by merely doing that, it's going to solve the problem, I think that's really naive because human beings are by nature not infallible. Human beings make mistakes. They just do. Was this situation that sparked all this egregious? Oh, fuck yes, it was egregious. It was horrific. And no one disputes that. That's, a, that's one of the things that kills me about this whole thing is like, have you found anybody who said, oh, what the police officer did was appropriate? And I haven't seen a single person say that. Not one. Not one. So the point is that like nobody thinks that was correct. And my bigger point is that as long as people are interacting with people— as long as the police are comprised of human beings, they will make mistakes. And that there's just nothing you can do about that. So to me, what's more relevant, what, what I think people should be examining, and to my knowledge, no one is, at least I haven't seen it. To me, what's more relevant is uh, how often are these things happening? Because my view of it, again, I don't, have any, I don't have any evidence to point to other than the fact that every time it happens, there's a, there's a national crisis, is you know these things used to happen more frequently than they do now. To me, that's just the bottom line. It's like, that's my number one analysis point is, 10 years ago, how common was it that the police killing of a, a person of color that was controversial? I think there were many more 10 years ago or 20 years ago than there have been in recent years because it seems like every time it happens, like there was Michael Brown, which, you know. Oh, yeah, Michael Brown was five years ago. Uh, you know, there was a whole bunch that happened five years ago to get this. Yes. Yeah. That's my you know, point. Eric that's, Garner was five years ago. That's my like, point. That's my point. Things are have clearly gotten better. They, they clearly have. And yet, this one incident, and I'm not saying this is just the only one. I'm not saying that. 
But given the way that the media and uh, the powers that be seize on these opportunities to make these into huge stories, if something else had happened, I think we'd know about it. And so I think the trend has been clearly in the right direction. So if, if things had been just escalating and getting worse and worse year after year and more and more people being killed in you know, suspect or clearly outrageous circumstances, then I would understand the current state of things. But that's not what's happened. And that's because of the stoking of the media and you know, the whole narrative and all that shit that I don't even want to get into that because we talk about that every, seemingly every show. My point, though, is if you just look at the statistics and the rates of occurrence, I mean, do you agree or disagree with what I'm saying? And do you agree or disagree with my point that it doesn't seem like it's happening a lot less? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that you and I are probably going to be on different sides of this because I think that I guess there's a handful of points I, I feel like I kind of want to make. One is that I, I really don't know if it's if, if the trend is in the right direction. That actually doesn't matter in the sense that I, I really feel like this has shown me unless everybody in this country feels that they are part of a community and that community has their best interests in mind and that includes policing and it includes policing that they feel they can trust meaning if i have a problem i can call a police officer then then something needs to change until that is the case i don't think anything is going to improve period just end of story i've been having a lot of conversations with my with my black friends since this has happened because i think that I've been sitting on one side of this camp, kind of even maybe refusing to truly believe that the situation between communities of color, between black communities and the police are, as, are, are maybe as bad as they really are. Because a lot of my friends have told me they're like, oh, dude, you don't ever call a police officer. Like, I just you don't ever call one. It's a, it is a last resort in the black community. You try to solve everything up and until you you can't for some reason and then you call a police officer even bill i talked to recently who was you know guest and friend of the show and he he's even thought before do i want to call the police on this situation because the police might show up and think i'm the problem rather than the guy who's calling and i just can't even if you're in a situation in which you feel your safety is is you know is is threatened even trying to make that calculation is is nuts like we we can't people shouldn't have to think those things if if someone's trying to you know break into their home or or if they feel unsafe in their in their car because there's a group of people threatening them in a parking lot and and more often than not i think black people and people of color really have to do that mental gymnastic and i think that i've refused not like aggressively, but just I've refused, I think, for a long time to believe that that is the case because that really if the, if it is, then I feel like I have a responsibility in wanting to change that because I, I have friends who are, you know, black people and want to feel and want to live in a country in which everybody feels included. And I think that I think that that actually is the case, which is just to repeat to sum this all up because that was a long diatribe. But I really think that until everybody feels that they are equally cared for, supported and protected by the police and are not the target of that, then I then we have a problem that we need to solve collectively. And, and I don't I don't disagree with that. I, I really don't. I don't think that's unreasonable. But there's just so many questions inherent in that in terms of reality versus perception. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I think what you just said is not accurate. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that 
some of it, I think, is probably a bit exaggerated. And, and I mean, also, I think it's important for me to say this, because I'm sure anyone listening to this at this point probably views me as, even though I'm choosing my words very carefully, clearly, you know, I'm leaning harder right than you are, and I know that I am. But it's important to note that I've had some very unpleasant interactions with police. I think I told you this story about how yeah. I was attacked by a cop in New York. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So I need to tell the story because it's important to for anybody listening to this to understand that I'm not just somebody living off in the suburbs who never deals with the police because I've had a few incidents that were disturbing. So th- I'll, I'll tell you two. There, this one, I was in New York for my birthday. My ex-girlfriend just took decided to buy tickets to New York to go for my birthday. And so we went there. And this was in the immediate aftermath of the hanging Chad election results, if you recall that. Oh, my God, yeah. And so here <laughs> here we are in Times Square. Jesse Jackson was speaking in one part of Times Square. And so, I don't recall who the other person was. Someone on the other end of the political spectrum was speaking also in Times Square at the same time. And this is like five o'clock, and I, the date was my birthday, December fourth of whatever that year was. I have no idea what the year was, two thousand yeah. or something. I mean, it was crazy dense with people, you know, because it, it was just was because you know there was a buzz in the air about this whole topic. And uh, at one point, I came face to face with a cop who was carrying I don't know what those things are called, like a barricade, you know, the, the those metal barricades that they just put up to like form lines and shit. Oh yeah, yeah. You know they're 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 pretty substantial, but you know for a strong man, they can pick one of those up and carry it. You know, twenty feet. So this guy's carrying this this thing, this uh, barricade thing that's probably like you know three or three and a half feet tall and probably like eight or ten feet long. And I come face to face with him, and I'm it's in the middle of a crowd. I mean, it is like you're having to adjust your path every two steps to avoid colliding with somebody. It's that dense with people. And I come face to face with this cop, and we do one of those classic like I'm trying to get around you, so I go to my right while you go to your left. We, you know, like we're dancing for a second. Like I, I yeah. go this way, you, go, you know, I'm mirroring him without trying to, or vice versa. So this cop looks at me, and he just has it. He just gets this look, and this all happens within the span of one second. He gets this look. He on thinks his, you're like trying to block him. He or thinks something. I'm fucking with him, and I'm absolutely not. And he takes a half step back and comes at me with the end of that barricade and hits me square in the chest with it. Jeez. Hard. I mean, it hurt. And it didn't knock me down. It like, you know, it staggered me. And and here here's my, you know, five foot two, 95 pound Russian girlfriend who is right there. You know, she's freaking out. The guy drops the barricade. He hits me with it, drops it, comes at me. And I'm like, what, what, what the fuck am I going to do now? Because if this cop does something, I, I mean, I have been raised, and I will go to my grave. My whole my whole approach in dealing with cops is respect. I will yep. never, ever, ever, under any circumstance, including the, the one I'm describing, I would never do anything to escalate. So I'm backpedaling as he's coming at me, and it was like he just suddenly came to his senses, and he just, like he maybe took two steps at me, stopped, turned, and then very hastily disappeared into the crowd. Mm. And I still recall there was a black man who, who, could, who must have been 70 years old who ended up 
right next to me at the end of that. And mm. he's like, oh, my God. He goes, if you want to press charges, let me know. I got his badge number, and I saw the whole thing. Yeah. And I said, sir, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I, I want nothing to do with that. I just want to go get the fuck out of here, go back to my hotel room and pretend this didn't happen. And that's exactly <laughs> what we did. We literally walked yeah. from there. Our hotel was like oh, right man. on Times Square. And so, I mean, we just spent the rest of the night just talking about what happened. It was just crazy. And then the other much shorter story is I got pulled over speeding, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or eight years ago. You know, the cop had parked behind me and he was getting out of his vehicle and I was going into my glove compartment to get my credentials, you know, my proof of insurance and whatnot, which is where I keep that stuff. Yep. And we were just at that point in history where, you know, it started, that started to become an issue about, you know, don't, don't reach for anything with a cop near you because they might, oh, yeah. you know, all that. That was still new to me and I wasn't thinking like that. So I'm just, I'm leaned over, I'm going, and then I hear like a megaphone and he's like, sir, you know, put, put your hands on the steering wheel or whatever. I mean, he was telling me to stop doing what I was doing. So I did. And he came up on me, and he was just furious. He was just yeah. furious. He's like, you have, you have any idea how easy it would have been for me to just shoot you? And oh, so— <laughs> He's like, oh, and, and, you know, this for, is— a, Just for going—just for—he was in his car, and you went for the— Well, he, yeah, well, yes, he was just getting out of his car as I did it. So he then reached back in and grabbed that thing that you talk into. Um, oh, yeah. But he, I looked back, and, I mean, he had his hand on his gun. He didn't Golly, pull it out, yeah. but he had his on, on the holster. So my point is, it's not like I've had no interactions with the police. Plus, in my youth, I was fucking crazy in terms of uh, criminal behavior. And yep. so I've had a whole bunch of incidents with police because of that. So I've just had a bunch of, a lot more experience with the police than most people my age who look like me. <laughs> I mean, who, I would say also, uh, just, to, just to add two other things to this. One is, you remember the story about me in Washington, D.C., where I had the M16 pointed at my face by no. a cop. No. Did I not tell you that story? Never told me that story. Oh, man. I was climbing a tree during the rally to restore sanity on the National Mall. And uh, I was up in the tree, and the, it cleared out. The, the, the concert ended, and uh, people were leaving, <laughs> and I was still up there. And um, a guy in the tree who was not a member of my group, I just didn't know him. He was just some guy in the tree. He had a pocket knife, I guess, and he carved his initials into the tree on the Washington Mall which is apparently a felony. The a group of police officers rolled up on this me and my friend Chuck Kavalik up in the tree and then this guy who we didn't even know. And they came up with, I mean, M16 machine guns. And they were just like, get out of the fucking tree, like screaming. Wow. You know, get the fuck down, get the fuck down right now. And so we were like, whoa, holy shit. And I thought, oh my God, something's happening. Like I thought like, oh, oh no, like there's a terrorist attack or something. Because that's how serious these guys were. So I jumped out of the tree, turned around because I thought something was going on like behind us with the way these and guys it looked were like you were up. running. <laughs> yeah. And the guy was like, get on the fucking ground. And I turn around and he's got his machine gun in my face like he's going to. Wow. I, mean, like, I say in my face. I mean, he's probably like 12 feet away from me. But my brain went, this guy's about to kill me. Like, that's what. I thought. And so I jumped on the ground. I just threw my hands up and basically jumped on the ground. And then these guys came over and patted me down. And then I stood up or they like basically were like, get stand up or get up. And I was like, okay. And I stood up and in, just kind of without thinking, started to put my hands in my pockets. 
And the guy po- pointed a gun at me again. And he goes, get your hands out of your fucking pockets. I mean, they pinned this dude down and they started saying, like, who's got the knife? And Chuck and I are like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't have a knife. And this one guy's like, I have a knife. I have a Swiss. It's like a Swiss Army knife. And <laughs> they pinned this guy to the ground. We're just standing there for what seemed like an eternity. And finally, this police officer came over and he's like, you got any weapons? You got any drugs on you? And I was like, no, like, no. And he's like, you guys high? Are you drunk? And I'm like, no, we just came to watch the concert, you know? And he's like, all right, beat it. And then like basically told us to leave. And I, that was probably the most frightened I've ever been dealing with the police. I say that story real quick. And then I say, you remember my dad's story, which we won't recount on this, on this podcast in gross detail, but he also got arrested by the police once for fishing without a license and was handcuffed and shackled to a wall in a jail cell. That really happened to my dad for fishing without a license. No, I do recall that story, actually. So so let's cap our stories by saying we've had some experiences with the cops that haven't been that haven't been all positive. And, and I have sympathy for him in the sense that, like, my mother used to work for the Southfield Police Department. Yep. And she did. Yeah, she did. And, you know, the, these are a lot of these guys and 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 girl, I mean, these men and women are under a lot of stress. They got to handle a ton of shit. They have to handle every situation like we described earlier. A lot of them truthfully don't actually get paid enough. Um, some of them get paid a ridiculous amount of money, like really well, uh, which is a whole other problem in its own sense. And and a lot of them don't get enough time off. They don't get like they, they encounter a lot of really disturbing things that they might have PTSD for that they never that goes undiagnosed and undealt with. Um and I think a lot of them psychologically break down into one of two profiles. They're either people who truly want to help other people and want to and really are there to serve and protect. And then there's a second group of dudes, some of whom I knew in college who wanted to become police officers who are just total dicks. And they just wanted to be able to put a badge on and go, OK, now nobody can fuck with me. And I think that's part of the problem is that psychologically this job draws to it a group of people that are actual assholes, some of them. And and by the way, I've had I mean, just to say this is like I've had bad experiences with the police. I've also had good experiences with the police where so I. I felt like that guy was on the ball. He's a great police officer. He's really he was he was kind and respectful and was just being like, dude, I'm here to lay down the law and this is how it's going to be. And but I say this all to say this other point, which is that when I talk to my black friends about their experiences, what I tend not to hear is either one many very good stories about like a good police officer who did something and really helped out. But two, a lot of what, you know, here's an example of a bad story, but like in spades where it's like the police officer suspected they were criminals from the beginning or they, uh, hassled them for no reason. You know, they're standing around on a street corner and a bunch of cops come over and like, what are you guys doing? What are you up to? Like all suddenly they're being treated like criminals when they haven't done anything. And I, believe them. I believe that's true. And I think that part of what I think is the problem here is that there's a, are groups of cops. There are cops who really don't see people of color as members of their communities and, and don't process them that way when they, when they have to deal with them. And I think that if I lived in a community in which I never thought the police ever had my best interest at heart, and I mostly live in a community where I think most police don't do a great job, to be perfectly honest, I, I, I think that I would find it really difficult to ever trust them. Does that make sense? It does. And again, I just, you know, there, there's just always the thought I have of 
difference between perception and reality. And I just want to throw this stat in. This is another thing that I discovered this morning. This is from New York Post. It says, by more than a two-to-one margin, black Americans support the police, and 60% of black Americans want more police hired, according to a civics poll published by Vox this week. Didn't you tell me? I'm not familiar with Vox. Isn't Vox a left-leaning thing? Oh, yeah. Vox is is staunchly liberal. Okay. So, according to a poll published by Vox, 60% of black Americans want more police hired. So why don't you reconcile everything you just said with that? Yeah, I think that it's funny because when I talk with, uh, with I mean, one, I don't think I can answer for <laughs> for the black. Well, the no, black no of course you can't. But I'm just saying, give me your theory. <laughs> but my theory is that you know, just based on conversations I've had with with my friends, I think that a lot of what happens in communities of color is a weird. It's almost like a too much and not enough. Let's give a specific example. So some of the stats, and I don't have them on the top of my head, but some of the stats from the New York stop and frisk policy is really fascinating because whether or not that's constitutionally legal, which it isn't, uh, the disproportionate number of stop and frisks happened in to black people and in communities of color throughout New York. So you look at the stats for like the Bronx and Brooklyn, stop and frisk is like, way higher than it is on like the upper west side of Manhattan. Now, some of that you could say is just like, look, those are communities that also have a higher crime rate. I would agree with you. Uh But it's like they don't demographically. If it was random, meaning the police are actually just randomly stopping a cross section of those communities, they would have more you know, white people being stopped and frisked than they did, meaning it's a disproportionate. I I understand. Yeah. Screwed skewed amount. So that's, I think, a specific example, which is like, look, so when when it comes time to police just show up and show that we're powerful and that we're on top of this community and we're the ones in, in positions of control and power, it's a too much. And then when it comes time to actually like, look, 70 percent of murders in Chicago are unsolved. I mean, I know it's not the same. I'm using I'm using two examples from two different cities. But part of the issue you have there is. The sheer number of murders. <laughs> I mean, even if you've got great police, I mean, the number of people killing each other in Chicago is insane. It's crazy. So you can't, you know, it, that's just kind of a simplistic analysis. But let's not even debate that. Uh, we shouldn't, I don't think we need, we need to devote any more time to that. But I'm not even sure we've addressed the point we started, you know, that we set out to address. I mean, we got into, we got into basically a, a more specific discussion of, you know, policing and the, the, the issue between the, you know, black community and police. Let's get back because I don't think we're going to devote another show to this. Let's get back oh, to just I, the, we say that now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That's true. That's true. But let's 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 make a let's take a good swing at an honest attempt at addressing what we really set out to address here, which is you know defunding defunding the police. You know, do you think it's do you think it's a good idea? I mean, and let's assume we defunding means what you know what we now know it means, which is devoting less resources to police. And I guess coming up with alternative solutions. But I did find it interesting, and there's a quote in here where one of those Minneapolis uh, city council members said, I don't know what we're going to do, <laughs> but we'll figure it out. It, that was the gist of it. It's like, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and vote on this, but we really don't know what we're going to do. I thought that was kind of a classic example of political expediency. You know, it's just like, <laughs> like right now, this is what the politics of the moment Demand. demand. Yes, yeah. demand. <laughs> this is how I can seize the moment for my my point of view. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that I really hope that there is 
more thought put into this because I think some of these ideas in terms of defunding are are, are actually pretty pretty good. Like I think that I don't disagree. The best arguments I've heard for it, and these came from discussions I heard on Vox also, were there are groups of police that ought to be for you know serious life threatening. Someone is breaking into my place. There are you know, drug dealers on the corner. Like in France, actually, here's a good distinction. Or in in England, there is a distinction between beat cops or like normal police and then like serious police. In France, there's a group of police, which is just la police. If there's a problem, you call the police. But most of the problems that you call when you call the police are things like there's a crazy man talking on the corner. Then the second tier of police in France is called le gendarme. And those are more like the state police. Like the state police, they so normal police in France, they don't really normally carry guns on them. They have access to them in their patrol cars if they need to, but they mostly walk around like bobbies in in um in in England with like a a club, and in case they ever need it. But it's more like just like a some symbol of their yep. policing authority. If they need to, they can call more serious police, like the gendarme, and those dudes are like military police kind of like they show up and they're like, I've got a machine gun to like handle this problem. And the, the two are se- very separate because it's like, you know, obviously you just don't, you know, a guy rolling up on a park with a machine gun is going to disturb everybody. Right. And not really solve the problem of the, of the, of the people. And I think that like one of th- that makes sense to me is like, look, let's maybe defund one area of those police and then take some of that funding and put it towards a second tier of police that are, let's say less confrontational and less for, you know, foreboding of a presence than like normal, than like the police in riot gear tend to be. Yeah, I agree with that too. No, I agree. And I think that, actually, I think that makes sense. I think that's a good idea. And I, again, I do think what you said a moment ago about there being some positive aspects of the general idea of dividing the police or limiting them in certain situations, I I, I would never say that that makes no sense. But to, to do anything that significantly reduces the protection of the general public is is mm-hmm. crazy. It's just crazy, especially in today's environment. I just think it it just is. And I understand that lots of people who would hear what I just said and say, no, now is the time to do this. Now is the time to de-escalate. And, and I'm, I do think it is the time to de-escalate, but I don't think it's the time to, to leave people vulnerable because I think that would be just a disaster. Because when you see the ease with which the, the, the large-scale looting that happened in various places, like I'm sure you're familiar with some of the stuff that happened in New York. Like I read an article that just blew my mind about how organized shit was in terms of there were crews rolling up that had oh, dude, extended networks a, yeah. of people, like <laughs> yeah. you know, people on scooters that were blocks away like, reporting when the police were close. And I mean, it was like a, a very professional, highly professional and coordinated effort to, in one case, steal, I don't know how many million dollars worth of Rolexes. That was one example yeah. I read. Yeah, yeah. First of all, let me tell you this, and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I know you really well, and I didn't, I wasn't like really, really um, happy about this topic. Well, I wasn't really, really happy about this topic. I felt like this was something we needed to talk about, but I was a little bit scared that I was like, we're going to get on this and. Uncle Mike is going to be like the looting and the looting and the looting. And I was, have I done it? No, you haven't. And that's what I was going to say is I was going to say, we're an hour into this and this is the first time you really mentioned it. And we've gone through a whole bunch of other, and we said right at the beginning that obviously it's reprehensible what happened to, to, um, Oh yeah. George Floyd is is horrible and and no person, no defending it. Yeah, there's no defending. And I'd say, I go so far as to say, if you're on the other side of that and you think, well, what I think happened to George Floyd was, 
is fine, let alone like maybe he deserved it. I would say you, you need to take a serious look in the mirror and have a conversation with your priest because I don't I don't know if you have a soul like that was a horrifying to watch. And and I think that all reasonable people with a heart would agree with me. But I agree. Uh, but but I was going to say, I, I just want to say that my concern was that you're going to get on and make a big point about looting right away. And uh, it's been an hour and we, we've only now kind of gotten to it. And I think that that actually makes me happy because I was going to have to I was really concerned that I was going to have to be like, man, Uncle Mike, if you care more about a Macy's getting looted than, you know, this than the police killing unarmed, you know, surrendered black people. But that's not at all the point that you made. And I just want to draw out that I feel thankful that that did not happen because I was not that I really thought it was going to. But I always I thought it was some outside possibility. So so the biggest takeaway I'll take from this entire conversation is just what an asshole you really think I am. (laughs) And and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. I'm I really am. I'm very objective. It's like I I know what an asshole I am. I'm just not an asshole like you think I am in this narrow context. But I'm ever very much the asshole in a whole bunch of other contexts. I just I just think that, you know, the I mean, and just to speak to the point about looting and how serious it was, it was like there was a bunch going on, you know, around around us in Chicago. And I'm sure you saw the videos of Minneapolis that have come out in the last 24 hours. Oh, my God, man. It's just, it, it, it looks just, like Beirut. Like, yeah, it was a serious issue. Like there was um, there was a very coordinated uh, looting that was going on where like there was a, a, a like a U-Haul that got driven up to this target <laughs> in Chicago. And it just, it just was crazy. I mean, like, you know, some, I don't know if this is true or not, but there was some report that they had gone into the Lincoln Park Zoo and let out a bunch of animals. Yeah, I heard that too. I don't know if that's like, if that really happened or not, but it's kind of, that's the other thing is it's kind of hard to tell what part of this was just people making shit up on Facebook just to advance an agenda. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's kind of hard to tell exactly what the case was, but yeah, I mean, I think defunding the police whole whole cloth is in or disbanding them is is nuts, but I mean, part of the issue in terms of disbanding, the only argument that I heard for it was that they wouldn't there wouldn't it's not that there would be no police law enforcement mechanism period. It was just that a lot of the issues that they're having like in Minneapolis are that this bad apples argument keeps getting made by particularly conservative pundits, but they say things like, "Well, you know, there's just a handful of bad apple officers and things like this." Well, the part of the issue is that if that's true, we actually can't get rid of them because the policemen's union has put such a Byzantine process together that just firing them is not really a possibility. Like even the chief of police in Minneapolis sued his own police department to try to reform it and couldn't do it because that's how powerful the legal counsel for these people is. That's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. And of all the points that can be made on the other side of the ledger, I think that's one of the most powerful. That makes total sense to me that that is the case. And I think that does need reform. In, in some of the demands, like Black Lives Matter listed a series of five demands that they had, you know, nationally. And honestly, they're all reasonable. I mean, they're basically like, look, we need to be able to get rid of bad officers, just period. And if they have a track record of like a lot of communities are thinking about Chicago, uh, Illinois might actually do this um, licensing police in the same way that I mean, like hairdressers have to be licensed. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you have to have a license to operate a vehicle. You would have to be licensed to enforce, to be a law enforcement officer and the state can revoke your license at any time. Black Lives Matter is calling to have a civilian review board to be able to bring cases 
of officers that need reviewed to the you know to some public administration that can then re- revoke the officer's license to to enforce law. And I mean that works for lawyers, that works for hairdressers. No, I got no problem with that. You know, we're in this moment right now where I think that a lot of people I think are willing to entertain new possibilities about this because I think honestly everybody is fucking tired of this. I think I think no matter where you are in terms of your political compass or spectrum, like unless you for some reason are seriously desiring of a chaotic, you know, country to live in, it, I think we're all pretty tired of this. Like I, I would like to see communities that feel safe and, and protected by police who are members of the community they're protecting and who are happy to protect and serve and who aren't scared of or antagonistic towards their own, you know, neighbors. And I think that that's not an unreasonable thing to ask. It's not, but I also think that, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff that you can, that I can say on the other side of that, that, you know, I don't really want to get off into it, but I'll just give you one. Mm. And that is, I don't disagree with anything you said, but I'm so fucking sick of seeing people stand in front of a cop and like scream, you motherfucking pig kind of things. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's helping anybody. And there's such a level of disrespect that I see for police, and I just don't think it's compl- you know, I don't think it's even close to warranted because there's a, there's various entities that do surveys annually about the m- most and least trusted and respected professions, and police, I believe, was number one or two. Oh yeah. And so if it was just like a given that police are dirty and that there's a huge percentage of them that are bad, then, you know, that'd be one thing. I just don't think that's the case. And that's not to dismiss at all the very valid points that you made a moment ago, which are very valid about the fact that there are known bad police that are still police because of the crazy protections they have from powerful union forces. That kind of thing clearly Mm. needs to be, that needs to be solved. Absolutely. But I still think that doesn't justify, you know, the, the militancy and the attitude that I see from so many people. And, you know, what my view, I, I view this really simply, and I'll never back away from this statement, which is the minute that you actively resist a cop, all bets are off. Now, I want to I be careful here. That's not to say that if a cop just runs up on you and starts hitting you, that you can't defend yourself. That's a different story. And in fact, I saw a video recently that enraged me in which this guy, police were yelling at him to like, stop. And this dude who was a black man put his hands up. Then he put his hands behind his head. Oh, this was in, uh, was this in Los Angeles? I have no idea where it was. But this Got cop it. ran up behind him and kicked him, like jumped like a, like a, like a world wrestling federation move, you know, whether you yeah. fly forward with your feet going forward and, and hit this guy in the middle of his back knocked him down and then you know like two or three cops jump on him and i'm watching that like that's just fucking crazy so i'm not at i mean i'm not at all allowing or condoning that type of shit but if cops are just telling you to stop stop and you don't stop and i've seen a whole bunch of these videos too where cops are yelling at somebody to stop walking and they just keep walking and then and then at one point the video i'm thinking of the guy goes into his puts his hands in his pockets you know which yeah. I mean, it's like the guy's asking for the police to do something to him. So, you know, we can't overlook the fact that it, again, I'm not saying 100% of the time because I know it's not, but it does take two to tango a lot of the time in these situations. 
And well, I, I just yeah, believe I, if you if you just say yes sir, no sir, yes sir, and you do what you're told, I think the odds of something happening to you are not zero. I'm not saying they're zero, but I'm saying they are. I think one percent or two percent. Whereas the minute you start showing yourself to be actively militant or worse, I think your odds go up. 50-fold, or at least 20-fold. Look, I mean, I think people should be respectful towards police officers. I think that it made me just as angry this time to watch people doing that in protests as it did when I saw them doing it during the protests about wearing masks in public. People bring guns to the Lansing, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Michigan State yeah. Capitol. It's, it's that's insane. Like, that shows a level, a bizarre level of disrespect. I think it's nuts, and it, it I, I don't like it in either case. I will say this, uh, because you're like, it enrages me when I see that. It enrages me when I see videos of police officers charging through Lafayette Square to a bunch of clergy and peaceful protesters shooting tear gas and then punching an Australian film crew in the face. Like, that happened. It did not happen. It was all on record. Yeah, I don't and know then, what you're talking about. And, or I don't, it also enrages me when I see Buffalo police knock down and knock out, causing a concussion and, and head trauma to a 75-year-old man who has just happened to be in front of them when they decided they were not no longer putting up with protesters. It also enrages me when I see Los Angeles Police Department shoot and blind with a rubber bullet a homeless man in a wheelchair who could not get out of the way because he's in a wheelchair. There are so many examples of this through this protest that it's like it's 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 nuts like the 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 use of the police use of violence is completely out of control. That stuff infuriates me also. And then I just want to say that just to bring this back to the, the main point that I made right at the beginning, we we have a social contract and the social contract is with one another. And it says that I will not use violence and you will not use violence. What we're going to do is 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 entrust a a an institution outside of ourselves to have a mandate on the use of violence to enforce laws that we've both agreed should be enforced. And the responsibility that that group has is in not using that violence arbitrarily or brutally or it comes with a heavy a heavy responsibility. And I think that there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of police in the United States, not all of them, but a lot of them that don't feel that responsibility at all. They feel like I have the power to use violence, so I'm going to go ahead and do it rather than I have the solemn responsibility to use violence. And I think that, you know, the, the best argument I've heard for the violence that protesters have been using uh, is that the social contract has already broken down for their for their half. Brianna Taylor um, and her boyfriend may or may not have been dealing drugs. Let's just get that right out of the of the front of this, right? The police, non plainclothes police officers, served a no knock warrant, broke into her home. When her boyfriend thought that they were breaking in, he took his gun in order to defend his own home from what he thought were people breaking in. He opens fire. They open fire. They never identify themselves as police officers. They kill her. They shoot her 17 times. She didn't have a gun. Then she. Then they leave. Then they arrest her boyfriend later. Meanwhile, the person who was actually uh, the suspect in this case was already in custody. Like, I'm, I did a rough job of describing those facts, but you can look into it yourself if you're listening to this. The, the point that I'm making is like, this kind of shit is insane, and it's not just happening to communities of color. When I was in college at Grand Valley University, um, 
there was a guy who was living in downtown Allendale who the police suspected was dealing drugs out of his apartment. Same thing. No knock warrant. Break open his door, throw in a flashbang, walk in, shot him in the chest twice. He didn't die. He lived. There was no drugs in the whole apartment. Like it, it, it's madness that the police get to get away with this kind of stuff in the United States. Okay, and I don't mean to diminish or uh, anything you just said, and I respect the passion you have for it. I respect that you're sharing the stuff with me. I just don't know about it. But mm. I would still say this. this I'll, I got two final points, and then we'll wrap this up, or at least my, I'll wrap up my part. You can keep talking because I think this is a very, you know, we don't have any time limit here, so if you want to keep talking, keep talking. But uh, I want to say two things. One is that, well, I'll say three things. One, the first is where I think you and I have a fundamental disagreement is you look at the police as a, as an, as a larger entity and you say it's clearly flawed. It has, you know, too, way too many bad actors. There's some percentage of those people that you know in your heart are bad. And I don't disagree with any of that. Where I think we'll disagree is you think that percentage is I don't know. I'll guess for you. You think that percentage is 20%. What do you really think it is? I, yeah, I don't know. You have I, to answer. Honestly, you have like to like answer a... me. Just answer me. Don't think about it. Yeah. Just answer. Uh, 15, 10 to 15%. Okay. That's fair. I, I, do, I agree with every, I, I mean, I agree with the basic principles of what you're saying, but I look at it and say, I think it's more like three or five. Mm. I'm mm. not saying that's, I'm not saying that's acceptable. I'm not saying that that's nothing. I'm just saying there's a big gap between five and 15. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's huge. I mean, three X. Yeah. No, there, it's a huge difference. Second is, okay, so what's the answer? Because I think the ultimate, the, the real root problem we have here is human nature. And we can get rid of these humans that we have in that capacity right now. And I'm, and I'm, I'm skipping past the things like, you know, they, there shouldn't be police union protection of bad people. I agree with that. Let's forget that for the moment. I'm just saying the, the real issue is people. you got people. Mm -hmm. Anybody that's in that position of authority, is you're going to just have a certain percentage of those people that are like you described earlier about their, they, you know, they're doing it because they, they're, they're, they have a Napoleon complex or they have a power trip complex or, you know what I mean? There's, there's just no getting around that. And as long as that's true, and that will be true until we eliminate humans— then we're gonna we can get rid of the people we have now, and bring in some new people, and they might be a little bit better. But if the real percentage of bad ones was either my three or five or your ten or fifteen, we're gonna end up with it might be two point seven five and four point eight on my end, or you know what I'm saying? It's gonna be a microscopic difference. I sincerely believe. That's not mm. to say you can't do some things to make it better, because I think you can. But at the end of the day, we're never gonna we're never gonna prevent the next George Floyd from happening, and I'm my fear in all this really my ultimate fear. I mean, I got a bunch, but one of them is simply that we've now feels like we reached the place where every time something like this happens, cities are going to burn, and our our society can't survive that. It just can't. And I think that what we're gonna see here, if 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 there's you know if more of this happens. I really do believe that lots of people are going to be thinking seriously about, you know, leaving the places where they feel un where they feel the least safe, which will be major metropolitan areas. I mean, that's what happened in '67 and '68. Oh, is that, is that true? Yeah, that's true. That's the the major 
movement. I mean, the white, I mean, specifically in Detroit, but in white many flight, other major yeah, cities, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a right. lot of the white flight happened in the late sixties due to the race riots that took place at that time. I cannot believe I, that didn't occur to me since I live 20 miles from there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and then here's my final, my third and final point. The one you're going to, you're going to hate the most. I'm just going to read. These aren't my words. I'm just reading something somebody else wrote. If Democrats persist with this rhetoric about disbanding law enforcement in the midst of the pandemic and the protests, which have at times been violent or involved looting, then they will be playing right into the hands of President Trump and will increase his chances to win the election this year. The final quote from that piece that I'm reading, indeed, most Americans do not really want to cut funding for the police. A recent poll on race and justice found that less than a fifth of Americans favor a reduction of police departments and more than half of them are opposed. And this is from thehill.com. This is not Fox News. I'll ask you to just respond to that last point. Do you agree or disagree with that that logic? Yeah, actually... I think it's black and white. I think it's clearly correct. I, I actually do agree with it, unfortunately. I think that part of it is just because the terms defunding the police sound so politically yes. oh, nuts. Yeah. Yep. No, it's heavily politicized, right. It's heavily politicized. And, the, and, and this is another one of these things that we should talk about actually maybe in the next episode we're going to record later this week because – so I in the last – you know, really since Christmas haven't been outside of a major city. I've been in either New York or in Chicago and I haven't – and even at Christmas, I drove up to Manistee. I drove back to Chicago. It really wasn't – we barely went anywhere and did anything. But driving out of the city of Chicago in order to come up to Manistee uh, really was pretty strange because as soon as we left Chicago, I was like, I feel like I'm in a different country. Like I feel like I'm a completely different world that – in the city of New York and in the city of Chicago, the pandemic is real. It's affecting people you know. It, you, it affects your life. You got to stay inside. You got to avoid other people. You got to wear a mask. Everybody is wearing masks. Everybody is washing their hands. And now there's protests going on. You can hear them. You can see them. You can you you hear the stories of people you know talk about things that were that you were even maybe around for. And and or, you know, were either either witnessed yourself or you arrived moments before or after it happened and can and in your mind, you you know, the reference of like things that they had to deal with with the police and you see the protests, you hear the gunshots, all that kind of stuff. I go outside of the city of Chicago, completely different planet. I mean, 30 minutes outside of the city of Chicago, we stopped in St. John's, Michigan to grab lunch. Nobody was wearing masks. Nobody was social distancing. In the city of Manistee, there was 11 cases of coronavirus, but there hasn't been a single case here in the last month. So for all intents and purposes, the city of Manistee is fine. You don't have to wear a mask around. You don't, you don't have to take precautions because nobody in this town has it. Nobody has had it in a month. Until you, you know? came rolling in carrying yeah, the until virus. I, until I came up, yeah. So the point that I'm making, though, is like I – I really something really struck me, which is kind of disconcerting, actually. Like and I said this to my friends who I've been talking to in the last week about this, which is that, you know, if I lived in man, if I didn't know any better, if I never visited a major city or hadn't really lived anywhere else. And this was my I, I only lived in Manistee. I probably also would think that this is all made up. I'd probably think like this is just bullshit. Like this isn't real. This is just people in cities getting hyped up over something that isn't real and doesn't affect them. And I don't think this policing thing is is real even. I don't think this is bullshit. I know the you know the police in my community don't do any of this kind of stuff. And 
it really reinforced for me that I was like, this is this this we're living in two countries that are just layered on top of one another. No, and we each are. of them occupy its own reality. No, that's I completely agree with you. And uh, you know, I'm just glad I live in the one that I live in. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad over here. It's not. And it's like, yeah, these masks are bullshit and I got no issues with the cops at all. Yeah, like it's weird because you think, you know, in a city like Manhattan or Chicago, the $1,200 check that the U.S. Department of Treasury issued to you is like that barely lasts. I mean, that is, that won't even cover rent in, in New right. York. Like it just, it, it won't. You, you barely, you know, doesn't hardly help you at all. But in a city like Manistee, a $1,200 check could last you like two months. You know, there's just very little, well, if you're, you don't if, have a lot to spend money on. Right. And if you're lucky enough to be one of those people who can actually manufacture your own meth, well, hell, that could last <laughs> you like four or five months. We are on different, you know, we have disagreements here. I wouldn't say we're necessarily on different sides of this issue. No. But I think that we've got some nuanced disagreements, but this was a, a good one to talk through. As always, I learned stuff from you. And you, at least you learned that I'm not the complete asshole that you clearly thought I was. Oh, man, I was really broadcast. scared at the beginning of this. I was like, Uncle Mike is going to wow. be talking. About, I'm so afraid he's going to be talking about the looting being the worst part of this. <laughs> like, oh, man. Well, I, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I don't want to continue the conversation, to be honest with you, but I do think the looting was absolutely uh, atrocious, uh, insane, because these are just two different issues for me. There's the issue of what happened to this poor man who was murdered by a cop. Black and white, he was murdered. Absolutely. Completely inappropriate. That cop should fucking hang literally in a public square. That's yeah. what I really think. Okay? But that is entirely separate from burning some poor person. I don't mean poor financially. I mean just some random schmuck who happened to own a CVS or a restaurant or a whatever. I mean, imagine if you're one of those people and... Like, I'm, I'm sure you saw all the videos of, like, black-owned business owners who were crying and talking about, you know. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of businesses in Chicago that on the front of the store, it said, owned by people of color. We support the protests. Please do not hurt, harm our business. And, and lots just, of like, those places were burned down and looted and destroyed. I mean, in, in Minneapolis, they were for sure. Yeah. I, like, I mean, yeah. And and to me, there that there's just, you know, two. It, this is classic. You know, for me, everything— I never, it's not one issue. You, you're saying these are two, oh, and I think yeah, they are. It, to to your point, it's like, you know, if you were to ask any random, most, I would say not any, but most protesters who I knew who protested or who, you know, I would gather would be at a protest. If you ask them, you know, what how what do you th what do you think of you know the, the 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 looting and lawlessness that takes place they would probably one get angry at you for conflating them with that and then two agree with you that it's terrible and it shouldn't happen right and but i think that that's the appropriate response that it is it have. is but 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 you know the final thing i'll say on this is just i just think that it's classic two wrongs don't make a right and again i'm not trying to say that one human life is is uh, is worth less or more than the, the collective destruction that was done to all these innocent people. But I do, it does trouble me when I see uh, the ease with which how many people just brush past the impact of that looting on how many innocent people. And not just that, but like, there's implications that go on for a lot longer than it seems. You know, it's like, mm. like I personally 
have no interest in going to visit any major city right now. And not saying I was going to anyway, but I mean, it's like, and what it does is it makes me feel like, you know, I'm really glad I live where I live. I really am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to arm myself to the teeth. I've already picked out the guns I'm buying and I'm just, and I'm being very serious. I can tell you the model number. It's a Remington mm -hmm. uh, V3 TAC 13. Look it up. It's like, I'm not, even, I'm not into guns at all, but look at this shotgun, dude. Watch the videos. It's like something out of a Schwarzenegger movie. It's a, it's a, it's an automatic shotgun. Yeah. You know, where you literally, this is as many times you can pull the trigger. That's how many times yeah, you. Semi-automatic. Yeah, semi-automatic. Yeah, semi -automatic. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, you know, nobody has them. You can't buy it. You cannot buy an, a semi-automatic shotgun anywhere in the world right now. They're all oh, bought. Yeah. They're all sold out. They're basically. all sold you're, out. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're, good luck. Yeah. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation. And uh, again, thanks for thinking I'm such a dick. Um, <laughs> but I do appreciate the fact that, you know, you, you felt it necessary to share that with the world. Uh, and I'm going to leave it in there just for, you know, just for, just for fun. So I can, I can reference this on my deathbed when you're coming to visit me. Brendan, you remember back in June of 2020? <laughs> And I told oh, you man. I was leaving everything to you. Oh, man. <laughs> but anyway, all right. this has been Have a good, good talk. Yeah, stay safe, man. And if you're listening to this, uh, to Onkview, please stay safe in your communities and uh and uh and go listen to go go listen go have a conversation with somebody you might be afraid that you're going to have a disagreement with you might be surprised that's good advice dude that was a good point to end on so thank you for listening to unkview we really appreciate it and i echo my nephew's sentiments please stay safe and uh let's try to fix this country somehow if we can 